Ultra. Back to the Cordado Minute, the daily podcast where we crawl our way to the bitter end or the longer end of the world's end, one minute at a time. I'm Nick Jimenez. I'm Scott Corelli. And of course, joining us, we have, uh, for her third time out with us, we have Ali Coluccio. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yes. Actually, it's your fourth time, right? Because you were on for space too. So I was yeah. on for space. Yeah. Wow. All right. So I don't, I, I, did we have, I don't remember if we had Naomi on for spaced. Uh, no, so you might are. be our first four timer actually. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Very excited. Yeah. And Quad today, Cornetto. <laughs> yeah. and today we're preparing to annihilate minute 46, which begins with our good companions continuing to make their way to the good companion and ends with our good companions stumbling out of the good companion. <laughs> so many good companions yeah Five. six uh both plural and singular yeah yeah uh yeah so this is uh i you know this is like the big good companion minute um you know because this is this whole thing is like uh to the tune of uh the whiskey song um which mm-hmm. we talked about on friday uh but this this whole this whole minute is really good and i think because I'm thinking back on the other movies that Edgar Wright had directed up to this point, um, you know, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and Scott Pilgrim before this. I can't think of another scene in any of those movies that was like timed to music where it was like specifically the characters moving in in on the beat of the song and so i think this scene is the direct precursor to baby driver yes that was which exactly is a movie. what i was thinking when i watched yeah. it because this movie is like th- th- that movie is a whole movie of this scene just you know um and uh and so i was just watching this and and was just thinking about like oh wow that's really interesting that we talked about how scott pilgrim was sort of the precursor to the fight scenes in this movie um, but, but now this movie is the precursor. This scene is the precursor to, uh, all of baby driver, which I think is, uh, really interesting. It'd be so interesting to know how he, you know, like you, you, you hear about Cameron Crowe having the songs that he intended to be in the scene and like playing on a little stereo on the set mm-hmm. of things like, you know, almost famous or Jerry Maguire or what have you. I wonder mm-hmm. if like he had the Alabama song. Like if he was communicating that to the actors or had it playing to help them keep in beat or if it was just a, a, something that he was able to accomplish just simply through directing and then, you know, editing. I don't know. I feel like you would you would have to play it on set to get the timing of like especially the drinking. Um, yeah, I think this is very, very choreographed. And if there if it if it wasn't that song actually playing, they had like a metronome or something. So yeah. like there was like a very physical beat um yeah. for them to follow. I mean, it really feels choreographed is the best word I can think for it. It's mm-hmm. 
Sure. Um, everything is just lockstep the way that, and, and I do think like there's definitely some stuff that's done with editing, like looking away to like the other people walking down the street, but sure. it's, um, I think it's very clearly, especially the close up stuff, stuff that's like done in time. Right. Um, so, all right. So going back to, to the beginning of this minute, uh, you know, we start with them walking down this sort of, um, I don't know, main street strip is what it kind of looks like to me. And, uh, they pass two people. They pass a middle-aged couple and they pass a mother with a stroller. And these are the same people that they pass on their way to the first post. Um, I think uh, 15 minutes ago, 15, 20 minutes ago. Uh, and they, they do the same thing. The, the couple and the mother both make the exact same moves that they made earlier. Um, only now it's, so much more creepier because they're realizing that they're just repeating movements from earlier. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's, uh, that's, that's pretty good. I think, I think what could have added to this though, was if, cause you know, in the original scene, they pass the, the elder, the, the, the middle-aged couple and then the mother, and then they pass the kids. And that's when, uh, uh, Gary sort of like does his first little like fake hat, hat tip thing to them. Um, <laughs> and they ignore him. I think it would have been pretty great if here that, that happens again. Like they just pass <laughs> by them again. They're like, wait, we just destroyed them in the bathroom. What are they doing here? Oh God. <laughs> um, I feel like yeah. it's a little bit of a missed opportunity. Like I feel like that would have added even more of like a, what the fuck is going on? Um, mm -hmm. kind of feeling to this, uh, this moment here. Cause I will say, I don't know how many times it took me to see this movie before I realized that the middle-aged couple and the mother were the same people from earlier. Um, sure. I, I don't know how I many have, times it took me. It took me a while. I definitely picked up on the mother being the same mother making the same face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I never, I didn't pick up that it was the same. Um, it was the same couple. I yeah. Don't know why. Maybe it was just the stroller. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Having a prop helps. Um, right. <laughs> uh, it, yeah. So I, I think, I think having the kids there, I think would have, um, would have added like, uh, uh, more of, uh, that feeling of, of dread that they have here of, wow, this is bizarre. Um, mm -hmm. what's happening. Uh, but I love Peter's fake smile. Uh, I think that's <laughs> really great. He's just trying so hard to act happy, um, which is really great. And uh, I also love the good companion sign. I mean, I think we talked about this earlier uh, when we were talking, breaking down all the bars in like one of our first minutes. But I love that the sign is for uh, drama faces and a comedy face. Um or mask, I guess, because, uh -huh. you know, the comedy mask, of course, is Gary. And then the other four is the, the rest of them uh, being uh, not so happy to be doing this. <laughs> and also sort of visually, you know, one yellow mask engulfed or surrounded by four blue masks. Kind of, to me, visual, like it, it, it reminds me of their situation of like hiding in plain sight. Yeah. Yeah, One. that's kind of more of what I was thinking of the whole like the facade of this looking like a normal town, but no robots. Right, right. I think it works on multiple <laughs> levels. Um, I that's what I love so much about the the pub names and the pub signs is that mm. you know they're very very thought out about where in the movie they're going to be there and what mm -hmm. it could mean for that moment. And uh, I just I really really love that. It's just so 
just so well thought out because you're right. Like it works on both levels. Um, and, and I think that that's, uh, really impressive to be able to come up with a pub name that works on multiple levels for a scene that we're in for exactly one minute long. <laughs> <laughs> And it, uh, I don't know, it, it reminds me, because I was thinking this minute, what what is it about them walking in, tune, in time with the music, them drinking in time with the music that is so, uh, you know, visually and orally satisfying? Mm-hmm. And I think it just goes back to, I remember seeing this tweet a few days ago about, I think maybe it was Patrick Willems. It was like, why why is it that so many of David Fincher's movies are so bleak? and dark and yet can be so comforting to watch over and over again, you know, mm-hmm. like movies like Zodiac or social network. And I think it's just, I think we get some kind of kick or there's something satisfying about just watching the quote, the machine running very smoothly. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, everything's firing on all cylinders and even the, the pub signs mean something. It's just like, you know, the audience, even if you're, you know, just like a, a person paying your 1350 in 2013 to see this on a Saturday night, the brain kind of recognizes subconsciously that like, oh, this is a well-made thing. Yeah. 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 It's very satisfying to watch something being executed perfectly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And this is this scene, this sequence, I think, is one of the best uh just from a lighting perspective one of the best like shot sequences so like bill pope is just really knocking it out of the park here um in their uh second collaboration and uh this is just we haven't had a chance to really talk about him a lot because you know up until the bathroom scene it was really just a lot of like you know guys (laughs) walking and talking and going to pubs um and uh now we're starting to get into the more uh i guess technically uh uh surprising Showing. elements surprising. and and technically impressive elements of the of the movie and uh he, his uh cinematography is really popping now i mean you can you're really starting to tell that this is the guy that shot the matrix this is the guy that shot the matrix yes yes <laughs> oh my gosh yeah yeah wow uh, yeah bill pope um so yeah, I mean it's just it's it it's just gorgeous. Just really gorgeous shots. Um I also think, you know, we've been having this sort of um uh I wouldn't call it I I I guess a disagreement with uh some listeners on our um Facebook group about the concept of a hive mind and whether or not the blanks are part of a hive mind. And I feel like this this scene here with all of them turning you know, the one guy turns and looks at Andy and then everyone turns and looks at Andy. I I don't know how you could argue that they don't have a hive mind. I understand that they also have distinctive personalities individually, but that doesn't take away from the fact that they also have a hive mind. I don't think. Mm-hmm. I, I would agree with that. I think yeah. there's definitely some kind of, it doesn't have to be the main consciousness, but there is some kind of shared consciousness between yeah. this group. Because yeah. of the way that they all are in that lockstep together, right? right. Um, and they're they're I you know whether or not that is a thing that they're always connected to, or if it switches back and forth, you know, maybe Bill Nye's uh, uh, you know big lamp character has some sort <laughs> of control over them that can he can switch between the individualistic and the hive mind mentality. Um, I'm not sure. 
Well, in, uh, the, but, uh, in the in the Netflix animated series, She-Ra, Princesses of Power. The, <laughs> Thank the, you uh, for just that whole yeah. sentence. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the big bad of the series uh, is, this, uh, is this character called Horde Prime that actually has is like a hive network. And you find out that he has these like stormtroopers, essentially these minions that look like him. And it's the same voice actor. And they can be individualistic. Like they can, they, they possess like, I am running or like, Hey, you're hurting me. But at any time, Horde Prime can in go inside of that being's consciousness and like, you know, shit talk She-Ra or be like, right. ah, it's still an idiot. You know what I mean? Or like, right. or shut off the person if they're about to like give away information. And there's like a scene where one of them is cut off and he has like, a meltdown because he's like, no, I'm not connected to the, to the, to the network anymore. I'm an individual. This sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of what's going on here, honestly, because, because later in the movie, we see Bill Nye literally possess blanks, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, in the, in the very end of the movie, in the world's end, um, we, we, uh, we see that happen. So I think you're, I think you're spot on. I think that's exactly what's going on here. Uh, because we also see them later freak out about being individuals and what that mm-hmm. means for them um, and how they feel <laughs> kind of lost and alone. And so, yeah, I think that's I think that's Wait definitely going on. Us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do have questions about alcohol um, because, OK, so so they are they are offering beer. Um, the beer mm-hmm. the beer is real. Right. And mm-hmm. we see. Um, we see them, you know, pour five beers for, for or I'm uh, five pints of beer. I'm used to Andy not drinking five pints of beer. Um, and you know, they, they down them and everything. And I, and I have more to say about that, that scene, um, from the behind the scenes documentary, which is really fun, mm-hmm. but, um, in general, okay. So this is real beer. Like we are seeing them get progressively more drunk as the movie goes on. Yes. But why would the blanks sell real beer uh, <laughs> when like it doesn't appear that alcohol affects them or does it like are they drinking this alcohol because it is enjoyable for them or are they doing it because that's what they did when they were human or what they think that humans want to see them do is it just like part of a show or think, like what is it i don't know i think it might be a little bit of both yeah um like a oh well you know we gotta go down the pub and have a have a pint because that's that's what we are used to doing on Fridays after work right um, so I think there's probably because I do think there's still like a bit of that personality left in in the blanks um, that they would do that uh, also I it, it feels like when we find out that like pretty much everybody except for like three people in the town are blank. Right. Um, uh, I think that might have been like a slight, oh, we'll exaggerate this at the end. Um, I think they're probably, in my brain, it always felt like, well, there's still like those normal people that are here. And like, it's it's a town. Like, there have to be people coming in from other places. Like, you still have to work on the facade. I There's a lot of it that I was had me thinking, um, especially after this, like in this minute and like the subsequent minutes that had me thinking of hot fuzz and how the town like still functions as a perfect little town, even though what the fuck is going on in the background. Right. Right. Um, 
And like, obviously it's not quite as sinister uh, as it is here, or maybe, I don't know. <laughs> we can debate <laughs> that later. <laughs> but uh, I think it's, um, I think that's kind of what it is of kind of like still needing to look like a proper English village with its right. Starbucks sized pubs. Well, and, and, and going back to something that we haven't really talked a lot about since uh, we we really started this, uh, because we haven't had all the elements of this film uh, present quite yet, um, uh, up until like very recently. And uh, uh, but, you know, one of the things that we talked about in our first week, Nick, was that, um, you know, that this is. In in proper trilogy terms, this is uh, the the synthesis of of uh, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, and you know Shaun of the Dead uh, uh, operates as a thesis statement, Hot Fuzz is an antithesis statement, and this is now the synthesis statement concluding the trilogy. And a lot of people think this one sticks out, but I would argue that it is the perfect combination of the two films because you have. You have um, with with the blanks, you have a stand in for the zombies from Shaun of the Dead. And also with the blanks, you have a stand in for the uh, the 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 the, the, you know, the the people trying to make a perfect town in uh, Sanford in Hot Fuzz. And so they really are a combination of those two things. They are a combination of zombies and these sinister uh, uh, things trying to do something for the better good, you know. I'm just saying, if the if the town council in Sanford knew that they were these aliens, they would have signed up. Yeah. So quickly. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, it's so much easier to do it that way. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's almost so. uh, to me. It's so like, much less uh, killing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, in a well. way. <laughs> what were you going to say, Nick? No, I was just gonna. You know, it almost speaks to if we look at if we look at this through the lens of or we look at the network through the lens of. Uh, 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 colonialism, like a colonizing force mm-hmm. that it, you know, it, I don't know. It kind of reminds me of when, like, as the pagans were being eradicated and absorbed into like the kind of you know Judeo-Christian society, it, it, it there are certain, yeah, there's like the just you know exterminate them all, but then there's also like, no, no, look, we're you're you can still have your festivals and your rituals, but. Now it's going to be under the guise of we're celebrating the birth of Christ or we're mm-hmm. doing this, whether whereas before it was this, now it's that. So it's like this like kind of nefariously benevolent way of like, no, look, like we're still like, you know, we, we, we've deduced that going to pubs and drinking beer and going out is a, is an important part of this culture that we're absorbing. Right. So we will keep that. You can still do that. I, I imagine if the hive, if the network was in America, it would just be a bunch of blanks like sitting and passively watching the Super Bowl and like absorbing yeah. the commercials and absorbing the content or like going to see the new Marvel movie or going to see the new Star Wars movie and like absorbing it and then standing up and leaving, which is kind of right. what Hollywood wants us to do, you know, like, yeah, like still like eating the content and absorbing the stuff, but not actually having any kind of emotional or visceral reaction to it. Right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean I think I think that's probably uh what what this is, right? It's just like, oh yeah, like you 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 wanna keep the the uh you know, keep the the, 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 the stuff that reminds you of society alive, but you also don't want the ramifications of that. So it's like, yeah, we want the drinking, but we don't want the drunk. 
<laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> no, it is. I mean, that's that's kind of their whole thing of like the the, the guys of we want to better you. You're right. not doing it right. We're going to help you do it right. Right, right. Um, and speaking of doing things right, uh, this single shot of them downing these beers in time, like at, like finishing exactly the same time, and then dropping them, and then saying their their lines of ah beer pubs drinking burp shall we? Um, <laughs> that that whole thing uh, is a there is a there is a a sequence on the Blu-ray where they talk about how this was achieved. And this was achieved in a similar fashion to uh, Michael Sarah throwing the, the balled up paper ball into the wastebasket behind him in Shaun of the Dead or in uh, Scott Pilgrim, which is um, they, they, they just did it like for real over and over and over and over again until they did it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I think, I think he threw that ball, that balled up paper ball behind him. Like, it was like 95 times or something like that before he finally made one in. Um, but here they rehearsed this with the fake beer. Cause it had to be the fake beer. Cause it had to be the Whoa. exact cons- yeah. consistency. And um, they w- basically didn't eat anything that day because they drank so much of this fake beer. Um, and they were like, they were talking about how they've never peed more in their lives than that day that they were rehearsing this scene. Um, and I'm not sure how many takes it took them to actually nail it in camera, but I know that they did this like in one day, they did this, like, I think they rehearsed this something like 20 times, um, trying to get the timing right. Because the fact is, yeah, they have the choreography of, you know, saying the things at the at the proper time to hit the beat of the song, um, and and you know, asking for the beer and everything. But the fact that they have to drink the fake beer and sync that up, like that, is such a difficult thing to do. Like syncing drinking. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a reason why people have like drinking contests, you know. And so they had to sync up finishing a pint an imperial pint of fake beer um, and, and actually get everything done. And so this was, I think this was a similar day on set as the, uh, the, the scene with, uh, with Gary um, sort of spitting out that monologue at the beginning, right before they leave the bed and breakfast. Mm. Uh, I think that, you know, they were, they were uh, trying this over and over again when they finally nailed it. It was like a big celebratory moment because uh, this is, this was hard. Um, from everything that I could see on the behind the scenes, this was like one of the hardest things, if not the hardest thing to achieve in the movie, um, from a, from an acting standpoint. Yeah. I wonder if they have, like, there's, there's like a whole bunch of things that I wonder about it. Like I do, I wonder, I feel like they would have had to have something to like keep time. I wonder if there was like a mirror behind the camera so that they could at least see like when each other were like lifting their glasses and like how far everybody's along and like putting them back down and. I I, um, I think it reminds me of like good theater physical comedy. Like if you've ever seen Noises Off as a theatrical production, mm-hmm. it almost seems even more amazing the way that everything like because there is like all of these physical like to me, uh Noises Off feels like a physical comedy Rube Goldberg machine. <laughs> <laughs> where you just have to like everyone acts out like the piece that's the one domino that sets the other one. I mean, wow. and this is different because it's all lockstep. 
Right. Like everyone's doing it at the same time as opposed to one thing happening and then the other following it. But it, um, yeah, it's just so good. It's like the very satisfying thing of things being executed so well. Yeah. Um, that makes it so good. This is also, I think, the only um, pouring the beer out of the tap scene that doesn't have that like, like Edgar Wright special close up, super dramatic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I assume that he just they couldn't fit it in, like into yeah. the timing of the song or whatever. Um, I do. Uh, I I think that as far as um, the the mirror thing, I don't think that's there because you can see that they're all looking inside their glasses. Um, so I don't I don't think it's that unless they're they're tracking it in the in in like their um, peripheral vision, but. I think based on how they're standing, I think that the the way that they're getting the timing is from touching each other. So their 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 arms are all touching the next person in line and that's how they're keeping the timing, I think. Is like they're keeping track of it by like the feel of the next person's arm and like where it is in in regards to how far into the drinking they are. Hmm. That's what it looks like to me anyway. Um because they are very like sort of tightly composed in this shot. But uh yeah. I don't know. I I can't imagine doing this. Uh I don't know. Of 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 the three of us, Nick, you're the only actor, I think. Um unless Al, unless Allie's an actress that I don't know about, but um yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> college definitely. Sure. Count. Yeah. <laughs> Same. But uh but yeah, Nick, what what do, what do you think about this because this just looks agonizing to me i don't know <laughs> well to me it uh it it, it it sparks to me memories of like i i know edgar wright is a uh is a self is a vocal uh fan of of jackie chan a big fan of jackie chan not just as an actor but as a performer as a stunt performer and there's this really great i think it's every frame of painting or it might be nerd writer but one of those one of those video essayists about yeah. the magic of watching Jackie Chan perform and watching his stunt team perform, especially in those, those early you know films when everyone, when everyone was like in their physical prime and right. Jackie Chan himself was trained as a live performer in the Peking opera. And they right. were, they were interviewing and then, you know, there were, there were clips of like Jackie Chan's philosophy and they're like, how do you do that? How do you accomplish these, these feats of, of, of where it's like physical, but it's also funny and it's so well choreographed and, the secret was is that no one in the world but Jackie Chan and his stunt team will try over and over and over and over again hundreds of times to, okay, I have to jump, kick the bucket, and the bucket has to hit the stunt guy in the head, and then I have to land on the back. And the difference between Jackie Chan and everyone else on the planet is that Jackie Chan will try 700 times until he yeah. nails it one time and the camera picks it up and right. you watch it. It's like magic. And yeah. it's just, you know, and, and I think Edgar Wright is kind of from a cut from a similar cloth where he's like, no, we're just going to Michael Sarah is going to have to try over and over again to sink the basket. And mm-hmm. yeah, and, it's and a very think, theatrical thing when you think about it, because yeah, definitely yeah, you have to have it yeah. practiced thousands of times so that when you're in front of a live audience, Mm-hmm. Right. That it works in the moment. There's no in-camera editing trick. And I think, again, the audience can subconsciously, even if they don't really know, they, there's a reason why this moment is so funny 
and playful to them. They're like, oh, wow, they like really sync that up. And there is that great like kind of physical like Keystone Cop kind of thing where they all like bumble into each other at the end. God, I love that. I, I, I that that's like the most satisfying part of the whole thing is just like after all of that, right? They know they're all thinking in their heads, oh my god, oh my god, we just nailed it. And then they have to do the stumble thing because and there's like it's like it, you you could tell that there's just like a little bit more of a of a heightened sort of like oh god we 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 have to nail this part because if we nail this then we've nailed it and we can be done and we don't mm-hmm. have to drink any more of that beer. And I think it works thematically for the scene because there's such high stakes on them acting normally drunk. Yes. That uh, I think that just like probably the pressure of like doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it and finally nailing it and being like, we just need to get through these next 30 <laughs> seconds is perfect for like what like those characters are thinking is like, we just need to get through the door and everything will be okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, no, I love that. And and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Nick, but Jackie Chan directed most of his movies too, right? Yes. I'm not, I'm not a hundo percent on, on like, which is which. I yeah. know that I, I know that uh, a lot of them were either directed by him or like his contemporaries, like Sammo Hung or like right, members right, of right. his like team. But he definitely had kind of a Chaplin esque authorial take on. I think still to this day, a lot of his filmography. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, and, and it's interesting too because I think the difference between what Jackie Chan and Edgar Wright are doing, as far as just being these relentless directors of just like no it has to be done like this we're going to do it and we're going to do it over and over and over again until we nail it the difference between that and the insanity of 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 multiple takes that someone like stanley kubrick would do to Mm -hmm. his cast the difference was that i think is like there there was a very specific goal with all of the times that Edgar Wright does that and all the times that Jackie Chan does that is like, okay, we didn't nail it. So we have to do it again. And we're going to keep doing it until we nail it. Whereas with someone like Stanley Kubrick, who would do pull that shit, he wasn't telling his cast what he, what, what he's wanting. He would just make them do it again and again and again, sometimes just to break them down because he wanted them to be more broken down in the scene. Um, or, or, you know, was trying to like, force a performance out of them rather than let them act he was like making them live it or something and and he wasn't communicating to his actors what the goal was in repeating the scene over and over and over again um whereas here they're like no this is the goal this is what we're trying to achieve and when we achieve it we'll be done and and i feel like that's the difference as far as um you know of that of that directorial style of 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 repeating uh, a take over and over and over again and you hear stories of like these crazy controlling directors doing that but when they do it i feel like it's it's them trying to essentially torture their cast and they're not communicating with them what the goal is whereas this is more of like gamifying it where they they're they're saying this is the goal as soon as we hit that goal you beat the level and we move on you know <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I think there's also an added level of Jackie Chan because he's directing himself. Yes. I, mm. I think that's it. He's putting himself through that punishment with, with the yes. rest of the cast and the stunt guys and the crew. It's like, it's not just like, all right, we're going to do this over and over until we get this. It's I am here doing this over and over with you until we get this. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sort of like, well, you know, if he, if he's doing, if he's not tired, then I can, if he, if he can keep going, I can keep going. 
yeah. D- David Fincher also, you know, to bring it back to the beginning of the podcast, like is also kind of infamous for like the most innocuous takes of the movie. You, you, you would never as the viewer think that that scene of Andrew Garfield and social network, like picking up a, a piece of paper off his desk took like, you know, 300 takes. Oh, that just sounds exhausting. <laughs> yeah. And like, I think I can't remember if it was those, what podcast this was, but I remember Andrew Garfield was, you know, going through that where he was like, okay, you're David Fincher. I'm, I'm, I am your puppet. And like the crew applauded when that, that final take of like, I don't know him p- picking up the coffee mug in the right way. And David Fincher was like, okay, we're ready to move on. And Andrew Garfield was like, you know, too, I guess David Fincher's credit was this moment of catharsis between me and the crew. <laughs> where we were like, okay, cool. I hope one of those was okay. Because <laughs> uh, you don't even know what take ended up being used. It might have been take, you know, 38 of 69. Yeah, and that's the first take. Yeah. Well, and and that's the that's the that's the problem, right? And and it's 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 uh it's just like that communication isn't there and and that's I don't know, that's that's the problem with this sort of uh auteur theory. Um whereas like I feel like Edgar Wright is more in in that Jackie Chan uh, 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 way of thinking of just like, no, I'm going to very firmly establish what the goal here today is. And we're all in this together and we're all going to try and nail this together. You know, and we, we, you know, the the Scott Pilgrim shot, this, the uh, the 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 shot in Baby Driver where he's uh, walking to where he's getting coffee, that single shot. What I was thinking, yeah. Yeah, yeah, or or the single shot of Sean going to the going to the uh the the shop. Um, you know, the two versions of that. Uh but, you know, in all of those, it's like, no, we have a very specific goal. Here's mm-hmm. what needs to happen. This is how it needs to hit, and when we get it, we'll be done, you know? Um yeah. and and I think that that's uh I I I think that's that's the goal. It's like you you don't want a director like Fincher, and it's hard to say that because, you know, as we talked about earlier, David Fincher is a phenomenal director, but, you know, so is Stanley Kubrick, technically speaking. But that doesn't mean that I would ever want to work for either one of them, you know? (laughs) There's amazing directors, and then there's when you're an actor, the actor you want to work, the director you want to work with. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Um, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, there's a reason that uh, I remember hearing about, like, you know, the audition process for the casting of Baby involved kind of like a like a proto lip sync challenge mm-hmm. where the actor had to like you know yeah. lip sync to some kind of song and there's a reason Ansel Elgort I mean the dude I don't know if he's a trained dancer but he has a musicality to his movement and there's a reason that that opening uh, uh scene is so electric and again kind of you could almost imagine that being on 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 a musical on like a stage right yeah mm-hmm. i would love to see a stage show particularly a musical, but a stage show directed by Edgar Wright. Like I would love mm-hmm. to see like a live theatrical. I remember, anything. I remember in college, cause this was like, you know, early tens when, when Scott Pilgrim was like really hip in the zeitgeist of like, Oh, this thing that no one knows about, you know? And I remember me and like <laughs> my, my friends in college were like noodling with the idea of doing like a Rocky horror style, like live Scott Pilgrim show where we all got to like dress up and get mm-hmm. marks, you know? I um I still think uh it would be that there's got to be a burlesque crew somewhere who could do a Scott Pilgrim themed burlesque show. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> I feel like that is like the perfect thing for. <laughs> Definitely, I, yeah, I feel like that's probably already happened at some point, right? I, uh, it would have had to have, right? Yeah, somewhere, like, some, somewhere down the line. My radar. Yeah, Nagi twins, 
Roxy yep. Richter. Yep. Especially, yeah. especially in like a in like a post like Magic Mike XXL. Like I feel like the right. the Scott Pilgrim burlesque show is just asking to exist in some way. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, I think that's I think that's all we got for uh, the first minute of the week. I think it's yeah. going to be a good week, you guys. Definitely. Uh, you've heard us refer to it uh, throughout the episode, but uh, Facebook. The Cornetto Minute Listeners Pub, literally not exaggerating. The only reason I still have a Facebook account is uh, mm-hmm. I just like hearing from y'all. Um, so, you know, if you have a Facebook, don't start now. But if you have a Facebook already, <laughs> you know, uh, leave a comment. Help us out. I mean, like, you know, we've had so many, like, illuminating links and articles about, like, hey, actually, it's this thing, you know. And uh, we're really lucky. We just have really uh, friendly educated amicable listeners and uh yeah so head on over to the cornetto minute listeners pub and join the community today and uh we'll be back tomorrow with minute 47 but for now let's move on